Thanks, Glenn. <clears throat> I think. I'm impressed to know that I've been an impact here for the past four to five years. I've only been around for three and a half back in Christchurch, so I think I'm doing pretty well. It's great to be here. It's great to be back with you guys. I, I always enjoy coming here. There's something about this place. Maybe it's the people. I, I always feel really warmly welcome here, and I enjoy engaging with you guys. Uh, and as... Um, as Glenn mentioned, I run seminars and I've been asked to, to run another seminar. Am I obviously not holding this close enough to my mouth? They've just turned me up. Um, uh, I'm running another seminar. I've been asked to run one here in two weeks' time on Saturday the 8th. And that's on Renew Your Mind 101. And so I've been asked to, to help uh, people look at why are they doing what they're doing. The Bible tells us that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. It tells us that we are to take captive every thought. And that's true. But how do you do that? How do you actually practically do that? And so many people are struggling in their life. They feel limited. They feel restrained. And they don't know why. So in that seminar, I'm going to teach you how to take the elevator to the basement level of your mind to work out what's going on there and how to replace it with truth. Because many people don't have a clue what's going on in the basement level of their mind. And if they do, they have no understanding of what to do about it. So if you come along uh, for Saturday the 8th, we're going to start at 9.30. Uh, I'm also going to workshop it. So you'll have the opportunity to try out a practical tool for yourself and have me available to give you pointers to help you along so that you can get a gist, a handle on how to do this for yourself. Sound good? So if they're interested in that, who do they go to register with? Have you got a Karen person? At the info desk, register there. It's good to know numbers. Um, and uh, so if you can, is it Karen that you let know? Or just who's ever at the desk? Who's ever at the desk? So if someone's wandering past, grab them and say, you're at the info desk, I want to sign up. That's you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but for today, what, what I want to speak into... Uh, Glenn was talking about the, the optimism. I want to speak into this area about two different types of mindsets that we can gravitate towards, that we can fall into. And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that will lead us through those mindsets to, to see what Scripture has to say about it. And one of those mindsets is a mindset that is prevalent in our country. As a group of Kiwis, we gravitate to this mindset at the drop of a hat. But it's also prevalent within the church. And it's what we call a victim mindset. And a victim mindset is where you feel like you're a victim to people, to circumstance, to your mood, to, to what's going on. It feels like you can't move ahead because people are being difficult. Things are happening. They're restraining you. And in fact, with the victim mindset, Many people like it. They gravitate towards this. This mindset becomes their friend. And you might ask, why would anyone want to feel powerless? Well, because when you give up your power, you get something else back that's rather nice. You get back innocence. You see, if you're the powerless one, then you can't be blamed, criticized, found to be at fault, held accountable. 
if you're the, the, the victim here, if you're powerless, then, then people can't expect anything of you. They can't require anything from you. You don't have to go have those difficult conversations. You don't have to go through that short-term pain to get through. And so at times it's just nice to play the victim card, as many of us do. But that's not the mindset the Bible talks that we are to have. In fact, the, the mindset the Bible says that we're to have is very much an overcomer's mindset. And so an overcomer's mindset is one that will face a problem and still be able to move forward. They'll face a problem and not perceive themselves to be powerless in the face of it. The Bible says that we're not to be overcome by evil, but in fact overcome evil with good. So I want us to have a look at these two mindsets today. And I'm going to do that. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Exodus. Exodus chapter 14, we're going to read verses 10 and uh, all the way down to verse 16. So while you're finding that in your, your Bibles, let me just give you a sense of context for what we're looking at. And the context is this that the Israelites have finally been set free from Egypt. The Israelites are now free. They're out in wandering in the wilderness or they're, they're just stepped out. They've come up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's changed his mind. And so he and his whole army are coming after them and they come bearing down on the Israelites. The Israelites feel like they're stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea. The Israelites feel like now they're trapped, they're stuck, they're powerless, there's nowhere to go, there's nothing to do, there is no hope, there is no choice, there are no options in front of them. And at that point, if you feel ever stuck in your life, when you feel powerless, that you can't move ahead, or you can't get through, that there are no choices, are no options in front of you, there is only one thing left to do. Whinge. Whinge, complain, fuss. And so that's what we see the Israelites doing here. So let's start at verse 10. And we read, as Pharaoh approached the army... Sorry, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out. They said to Moses, and I think this is one of the funniest lines in the Old Testament. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians and die in this desert. But Moses answers the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Now what we have here are three people talking, three groups talking. You have the Israelites, you have Moses, and you have God speaking. And each one speaks 
from a different perspective. Each one speaks from a different mindset. And we're going to have a look at that. But let's just stop and pray for a second. Father, as we gather in your presence, my prayer is that you would help our minds to be open to the truth you wish us to see. Lord, that you would impart into our hearts the wisdom you want us to grapple with. Lord, and in this place, you would have your way. You would go to work on us. May we not shy away from the truth you wish us to hear. As we ask for this now, in the name of the one who brings the broken pieces of our life together and makes us whole. In the name of the one who is our stability, our savior, our master, and our commander. Jesus, in your name we pray. So the Israelites respond. The Israelites respond with their whinging, their complaining, uh, their fear, their terror. And it's understandable why they react this way, isn't it? They've just spent hundreds of years caught up in slavery, where they've been bullied by the Egyptians, where they've been dominated by the Egyptians, where they've had limited power, where they've had limited options. And you see, out of that mindset that they have been programmed with, they now are viewing their current situation. See, the interesting thing is this, that they are in fact out of Egypt. They are no longer slaves. God has delivered them. God is with them. He's on their side. And yet, their perspective is still the same as the one that they had when they were in slavery. You see, they have been brought out of slavery, but the slavery has yet to be taken out of them. Can you see that? And you see, we are shaped, our perspective is shaped by our experiences of the past. The voices of the past begin to influence the lens by which we look through and focus on today. I'll counsel, um, and I've counseled a, a number of women who have come out of marriages with what we describe as crazy maker husbands. Now, the technical term for a crazy maker is someone who is a narcissist, someone who has a borderline personality disorder, someone who makes crazy around them. You said, I know all wives think that their husbands are intent on making them crazy. I recognize that, but this is a different level of crazy, okay? This is a level of crazy where their sense of reality is so warped inside of them that they start to warp the sense of reality inside another person. And so I'll have these women in front of me and, and I will hear them speak about feeling uh, worthless, no good, no hope, they can't make it through, they're gonna go nowhere, they're powerless. And when I start to speak about their worth, their significance, their hope that they have, the power they have, they will say, yeah, but he would say, you're not going to make it without me. Yeah, but he would say, this is actually all your fault. Yeah, but he would say, you're the problem here. Yeah, but he would say, you've got no hope, no power here. Yeah, but he would say, and he would say, and they keep referring back to his voice that's got stuck in their head. So they can only begin to see what their current situation through that perspective. They're seeing themselves through his eyes, 
through the eyes of one who is corrupt and distorted and warped. And when I say, well, what would your friends, your family say about you? Oh, they say that I'm loving, I'm kind, I'm caring, I'm, I've got abilities, I'm fun-loving, I'm great to be around. So perhaps there's a different perspective you need to grab a hold of here. Now, you don't need just a difficult male in your life to warp your thinking. In fact, as I said, our perspective in the present is shaped by our experiences of the past. And so that as you're growing up, as a child, if you're under maybe a critical mum or a domineering dad, as a child, that can feel overwhelming. It can feel like you're stuck, you're powerless, you're trapped, you've got no security, there's no hope. Whether it comes from mum or dad or someone else around you, it shapes your perspective. And so that as you grow up, you can forget that you've grown up. And so you'll continue to see your life, the situation in front of you, out of the perspective of an overwhelmed child that you were. And that begins to warp your sense of now. And so your reactions, your perspective, are still that of a child trapped many, many years ago. Your brain has failed to recognize that you've grown up, that you've got far more strength, far more abilities, far more resources than you've ever had before. And so you can't see reality as it is. You're simply seeing reality through the lens of what was. You see, inside of us, um, at some point in our life, there is something that takes place called a wind shift. Now, a wind shift is where your ability to influence your surroundings changes. You see, as a child, when you are underneath the environment that's much bigger than you, under people who are much bigger than you, they influence you, they begin to shape your attitude. So your attitude is influenced, it's shaped by the events and the environment around you. But as you grow up, a wind shift takes place usually between when you're 16 to 20, somewhere around there, where in fact your attitude now begins to influence and shape your environment around you. But when you're unaware of this, you can continue to feel like you're the victim to the circumstances around you. So that you don't realize that the reason why this relationship is breaking down is actually because of your attitude. The reason why you lost your job is because it's about your attitude. The reason why you're being overlooked for promotion is because of your attitude. The reason why people don't want to hang around you is actually because of your attitude. The reason why you can't seem to find your fit in church is because of your attitude. But when you're unable to perceive that, you continue to feel like you're a victim to everyone else around you. And of course, there's only one recourse left for you, and that's to complain. To complain and to whinge. Now, please hear me on this. There is a difference between complaining and making a complaint. There's nothing wrong with a good, healthy complaint. But there's a difference between the two. In the same way that, that I guess many men would understand that there's a difference between being reminded and being nagged. Being nagged is being reminded with attitude. 
Complaining is making a complaint, but with attitude. And so we need to recognize that the reason why we are seeing reality the way it is now is usually because of the perspective of the past. Is it still serving you? So of course the Israelites, who are to be called the sons and daughters of God, who are to be the ones who will bless all nations, have still got a long way to go. The slavery is still in them. It has yet to get out of them. And so in response to that, we now hear Moses speaks. He comes to center stage. And Moses is a man of faith. And so he speaks from his faith. This is a man who has seen God work miracles. He's seen God at work, who's powerful, who's strong, who's mighty. And so he speaks out of this place of faith, of knowing the power of the one who is unseen. And he says to the Israelites, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Be still. And you'll see the deliverance of God. Don't be afraid. Do you realize that fear is a powerful form of faith? I mean, when you think about it, what are you doing when you have fear? You have a strong conviction that something that hasn't happened will happen. It's just that it's the worst case scenario. It's the faith of fear rather than the faith of hope, which is a strong conviction that something that hasn't happened will happen, but it's for your benefit and your good. And so in that, Moses tells them, don't be afraid, have faith, stand firm. But you've got to ask, Moses, how are you going to stand firm when you've got the, the sea on one side and you've got this army bearing down on you on the other side? Uh, I mean, the facts in front of us say this doesn't look good. The odds aren't in our favor here. Well, for me, I love the words that come from Psalm 121. You've probably heard this before. You know, I look to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, it's interesting. Often when I hear people quote this verse, they they, uh, misquote it. And for those of you who love syntax and grammar, it's the difference between a statement and a question. And so often people will read this verse and they'll say, I look to the hills, that's where my hope comes from, full stop. And that always makes me wonder, what is it about a hill that can bring help? And is it any particular hill, or will any hill do? Yeah, but what also, what constitutes a hill? If I put a mound of soil in my backyard, is that enough to provide me the help that I need? Because of course, when we look at this verse, it's actually a question. When I look to the hills, I've got to ask, where is my help going to come from? Now, what is it about hills, you might ask, that's so scary that we need help? Well, you see, in the Old Testament times, this is where they placed the idols. This is where they placed the asher poles. The, the statues to Baal. This is where they placed all their other power figures. And so the psalmist walks in and he looks up at the hills and he sees their worship of all these other idols, these things that seem to be oppressive to him, these things that seem to, to, to speak of a lifestyle that just is saturating his pores. And he looks at that and he says, this is what everyone else has hope in. 
But where does my hope come from? When I'm overwhelmed by what I see around me, by the facts around me, I've got to ask, where does my hope come from? And he says, my hope comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is unseen, the one who will not slumber nor sleep. They have their Asher poles and their statues. I have a God who created the planet. The one who is unseen is far greater than any of this. So when I see the facts in front of me that say this doesn't look good, I will remember that there is one who is behind me, who is unseen, who is greater than all of this. And so in that, I will stand firm. Moses goes on to say, be still and you will see God deliver you. Now, I love this phrase, be still. We see it again in Psalm 46, verse 10. You know that that famous one, be still and know that I am God. You know that? It's great. But do you know that we under-translate the word be still? We make it sound quite nice. The actual Hebrew is slightly more intense. The Hebrew of be still is shut up. That's what it's saying there. Would you shut up and know that I am God? When your thoughts are running a mess, when your feelings are running a mess, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're winding yourself up, oh no, the Egyptians are coming, this is horrible. Would you shut up and know who I am? It's time to get perspective. And so in my counseling sessions, No, I don't tell my people to shut up. (laughs) In my counseling sessions, when people are struggling with a feeling of anxiety, with feeling inadequate, overwhelmed, when they're feeling unloved, alone, abandoned, one of the things that they need to teach their feelings is to sit down and shut up because this isn't reality. This perspective is coming from the past. Let me focus on what's actually taking place with the perspective of my God who is greater than all of this. So let me hold on to the one who is truth and what is truth in this situation, regardless of what I see in front of me. Because often we will wind ourselves up. And I love what Nehemiah says um, in chapter six, verse eight. He says, the things that you're saying, they're not happening. You're making this all up in your head. And often we will catastrophize as we make things up in our head. You know, when I owned my first house, well, that's to say when the bank owned my first house, I noticed that my anxiety level would actually pick up around my finances. And at one point I had to um, say to myself, all right, Richard, let's sit down and work out what's going on here. What are you so afraid of? What are you so anxious about? And I went, well, you know, we're living basically on a zero budget. Money comes in, money goes out. There's not much more. Um, I guess I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to pay the bills. I guess I'm worried that I won't be able to pay the mortgage. And if I don't pay the mortgage, then um, the bank's going to come and they're going to want to foreclose. They're going to do a mortgagee sale and then we're going to be out. And then then we'll just be by ourselves and, and then the world will explode and God will die. And... And I'll think, wow, is that really what's going on in your head? You're so screwed up. 
And I, so I'd talk to myself and I'd say, so actually how far away is it before the bank would ever come knocking? Well, I guess there's quite a few steps before that would happen. You know, the bank manager would come, they would talk with me. Right, and, and can I ask you, have you ever missed a mortgage payment? Well, no. Well, I might. It's the what if. But what if? What if I do? That comes to torment and wind me up. And even when you know that you've made all the mortgage payments, there's still a long way before anything uh, could ever bad happen in that regard. Take a step back and let me ask you, who is your provider? Well, actually, I guess that's God. Who is your security? Well, that's my God as well. So I will trust in Him regardless of what happens in front of me. I will play my part. I will be diligent. I will be um, accountable. I will be trustworthy with the finances that I have. But I'll also trust into the fact that He is my security. He is my provider. And wake up, man. You've never even missed a payment. And with that, my anxiety level went plummeting down. I actually felt a whole lot stronger. Stop winding yourself up. Stop living as if it's happened when it hasn't. People came out of earthquakes and started living as if they had died when they hadn't. People can start living as if everything's turned to custard, the finances are gone, the relationship's gone, the marriage is over, as if it's happened when it hasn't. What you're saying hasn't happened, says Nehemiah. You're making it all up in your head. So it's time to tell those thoughts and feelings to sit down and shut up while you focus on the reality of the one who's with you and the truth about your circumstances. And so this is Moses, a man of faith. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. Be still. Now you've got to think, in terms of making a good, godly response, you can't get any better than that, really, could you? I mean, that's pretty good. That's like the, the perfect answer to your question. And yet, God takes it to a whole new level. See, when we have a look at this, what God says to Moses is, is Moses, why are you complaining to me? You can just imagine Moses going, um we're up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army's coming and, and they're really big and going to be really mean to us and we don't know what to do. I think it's pretty fair enough that, that we've got a bit of a worry and a complaint here, Lord. But God says to him, why are you complaining to me? Tell the people to move forward. Stretch out your hand, part the Red Sea. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that, says Moses. Uh, make something happen. You see, what God's implying here is the power to change your circumstance, the authority to change your circumstance is actually in your hands. Now, it's not that God is against praying. He quite likes it. But He's wanting them to act. And I sometimes wonder when we're praying to God, when we're saying, Lord, can you change this? Can you remove this person? Can you alter the situation? Can you make all this different and better? That God's saying back to us, well, why are you complaining to me? I've given you the power and the authority to actually make something happen here. Stop painting yourself powerless. You're not. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. You have far more options than you realize. So start to act. But how do we act? Well, the word there when he says, tell them to move forward in the Hebrew 
is now sa, which means move forward in stages. So do the next thing that you can do. Do the next thing that's within your power to do. So I'll have people in my counseling room who desperately need to have a very courageous conversation with someone, but they're not because they're busily second guessing what this other person's gonna say and do, realize, do you know what? It won't make any difference and they shut themselves down. They paint themselves powerless without ever having the conversation. So their next step is to actually have the conversation and let the other person choose their response. Some people have tried to have difficult conversations and found they've been stonewalled or they've gone nowhere. So their next step is learn to upskill in order to communicate far more effectively. Do the next step that you can do. Do the next thing that you know to do. Even if the next step is, I don't have a clue what to do, I better go ask someone who can help me know what to do. Don't paint yourself powerless. We have a, um, a rule in our family that you're allowed to complain about something once, but then you've actually got to do something about it. You can take that and have it as a rule in your family if you want. But what that means is it stops us indulging our complaining. It stops us indulging a victim mindset. It stops us playing the powerless card and causes us to start to live a much more proactive life to take responsibility for the situation I find myself in. You see, when you've got an overcomer's mindset, when you've got a proactive mindset, you will take responsibility for the situation and the difficulties that you find yourself facing. And you'll say, you'll recognize, at least in some part, I'm where I am right now because of what I've chosen, decisions I've made, Good, bad, poor, indifferent, whatever. That's why I'm here. Now, as I take a hold of that, the good news that goes with it is if my choices got me here, then different choices, better choices, can get me out of here. That I take responsibility for the way that I'm feeling inside. Victim mindset says the only reason I'm feeling the way I am is because of what you're doing. Everyone else is making me feel this way. It's not my fault. But remember, no one can put a feeling inside of you. No one can do that. The feeling comes from within you. Primarily, why? Based on past experience and the perspective from the past. And you see, when you, when you blame others for the way you feel, and your feelings go feral, then what comes out of you will be a bit feral. And you're gonna justify that. But if you have a proactive mindset, then you recognize I've actually got to take responsibility for the way I respond to you as well. So let's be clear, yelling isn't helping. Swearing isn't helping. Dumping, accusing, judging, Shutting down, slamming doors, giving the cold shoulder, the silent treatment isn't helping. Like it feels it is. Well, it would feel like it's helping if you blamed the other person for how you're feeling. You see, what we're trying to do is punish the other person into submission so they stop making us feel this way. 
Whereas we need to take responsibility for the predicament we're in, for the mood inside of us, and for our response that we're making. Because it's not what has happened to us that defines us. It's not what is happening to us that defines us, but how we respond. What will give us power is how we respond, not what has happened to us. And so my friends, can you see the progression here of what takes place in Scripture, of the way the Israelites speak, and they're complaining from a victim mindset, of how Moses speaks from a faith position, and how God is speaking from an overcomer's perspective. It is certainly true that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in your life, how are you communicating in your head or with others about your predicament, the way you're feeling, your situation, your circumstances? My friends, it's time for us to realign our perspective to one that God would want us to have. Can I get the band up here? And in fact, one of the things that I want to get you to do is I want you, where you are right now, just to step back from your perspective, step back from your attitude. What would you say about your perspective and your attitude? Is it a victim-minded one? Is it a faith-filled one? Is it an overcomer's mindset? So would you stand with me? Because in this place, I feel like God's got something He wants to do here. There are some of you that you know that you have been indulging a victim mindset because it just feels safe. And the next step for you is in fact to let go of that and actually get perspective from God. There are others of you who have been filled with a sense of faith but you're busily waiting for God to do something when He's saying to you, the power is in your hands. I've given you the power and the authority. It's time to move forward with what you know to do. And so in this place, as we begin to worship, I just want to encourage those of you who, you've got that sense, my attitude needs to change. From a victim one to a faith-filled one. From a faith-filled one to an overcomer's one. I want you to come forward and just find a place here up the front where you're saying, Lord, I'm coming into your presence and I want to do work with you. And those of you who are part of the prayer team here, can I also ask you to come forward, please, just to, to be available to pray with people. But let's pray. Father, the way you see us and the way you see our circumstances is always so much different to the way we see it ourselves. Father, may we hand back the perspective that is crippling us and that is not in line with you. May we hand back the perspective that's now in fact out of date, that was a reality back then but is not a reality now. And Lord, may we have your eyes to see the reality in front of us the truth in front of us that goes beyond the facts in front of us. As we ask for this in your name, Jesus.